Well, welcome back to the Bill Bennett Show. It's the podcast that takes a look at the news of the day. We talk about the existential threats to America. Joining me today, Mark Krikorian. He is the immigration guy. He's the executive director of the Center for Immigration Studies. We'll get an update on the latest regarding illegal immigration as it's making its way back to the headlines. And boy, is it in the headlines. What do we got going on at that border? Uh, so, Claude, uh, we got to get our communications to here. Um, I, I sent you an email. Everybody knows these problems with email and text, but <laughs> right. sent you an email or text said, can you call me? And yeah. I got a very abrupt, <laughs> at least I thought so. Well, the tone I, I, doesn't I am, reflect the I am at my niece's volleyball game. <laughs> right. I, it was, it's not exactly the NBA finals here. Not at all. Not even. But it is family. Yeah, it is family, and she competes. Uh, she plays volleyball for Grace Brethren High School in Clinton, Maryland, That's and they're really good. They're they're pretty good. They are 7-0. and uh, they have two volleyballs. So this is the one with the net and the ball. Correct. The net and the ball. You and hit you it over. With, you exactly. It. How tall is she? Uh, she's six, almost six one. Wow. How yeah. old is this young lady? She's just turned 16 in oh August. Oh, uh, July. In July. She just turned Does she play basketball, too? No, but she plays softball. But okay. volleyball is kind of her thing. Oh, you, know? you can go a long way with volleyball. Yeah. You yeah. just got to get her a beach. Exactly. <laughs> got to get her to California. <laughs> exactly. And so, All right. Well, I, I just thought, you know, you said, hey, you know. Well, we were there in a heated game. I was, I was trying to quickly communicate with yeah. you that I couldn't call back right now. Yeah. Uh, while still cheering them on in the well, middle. Well, I took it badly. I <laughs> so, took it as a total brush off. Right. Well, but, yeah, my apologies. No, no, no. No. It's my fault. Well, the last year's champion, Riverdale Baptist, they beat them earlier this year, and they play Riverdale Baptist again this week. There are playoff implications here. And, and it's thought that her team, Grace Brethren, and Riverdale Baptist are the two best teams in the in the league or whatever, and uh, we'll see what happens. They also have an invitation to play in a tournament in Ohio coming up next month. I mean, if she goes, I may hit the road with her. I understand. But we'll see. I mean, that's we'll see. You, that's what you do. Right. Your good uncle. I suppose we ought to get to other things I'm doing, like the story of America. Right. Well, yeah, no, let's do this because, you know, and, and let me just say this, and, and I think maybe it, it came to me when we were talking about the story with, the, with my golf buddies is that we don't – and you, you know, you're a humble guy. You, you don't talk a lot about projects and books and stuff like that. You know, from it's college worth it, America is the last best hope, and stuff like that. Um, enough, you know. And I think if anyone wants more of your work, they should just go on Amazon, order any of the books. You, you know, and we won't do a big commercial about it because I know you don't want to do that. I, I can see it on your face now that you want me to just move on from it. But plenty of books on the shelves, guys. Uh, feel free to go to Amazon and, and just search any, any of them, especially with the holidays coming up. The story of, the, of Real Saint Nick that would be a good one to pick up now. Um, but you've got a new project coming up, uh, the story of America, launching next fall. But you guys talked about it uh, basically, kind of released it this past week. Uh, we well, actually the press uh, the, uh, the uh, Monday, and then I was on Fox and Friends, mm-hmm. and you'll get that link. And we're going to explain this banging. We're recording in, in a house, right? And there's construction going on. Well, America's at work. They Mer- can't just stop because America's at work, stuff, and yeah. we could put the podcast off for eight months until <laughs> this house is done, or just keep working. <laughs> we'll just keep working. So I appreciate the guys working. They're very nice guys. So as we're working and doing the podcast and helping people, you hear America in the background at work making money and building houses for people to buy. But I was hoping they'd take a lunch break. They won't do it. These guys are just they working. They take a break. Working. <laughs> oh, anyway. Um, yeah, it's called The Story of America. It's a, a big project. My friend Dick Collins, 
He's a uh, businessman in Texas, uh, founded iStation, which is an educational company, mm-hmm. very successful. And he's pulled together a great team of people, a guy from Disney who worked on the land before time and some of these other great projects. Mm-hmm. And this is a curriculum, every lesson every day for eighth grade American history and junior year in high school. And a lot of the lessons will be on the uh, narrative uh, provided by my book, America, Last Best Hope. Nice. And I appreciate that very much. It's a great compliment. The book was very well reviewed. Liberals liked it. it was, I got praise from Alan Wolf, who's very much a liberal. Michael Beschloss, is certainly a liberal. Uh, Walter Isaacson. Okay. Yeah, so, I, I, you know, I, uh, that was 2006, maybe. I'm not sure I'd get it today. Hmm. Given the polarization, we'll get to that in one of these emails. But anyway, Story of America, that curriculum will be available in a year. But we are at it, yes. The thought behind eighth grade and junior year of high school, what was the... That's the requirement in most states. Okay, okay. And by the way, it'll be in English and Spanish. Mm -hmm. And it'll meet literacy standards. Mm -hmm. So a student who completes it will be much more literate and knowledgeable about American history. So it's a big, ambitious project, but um, honored to be associated with it. So many of the, you know, folks who are touting a lot of the critical race theory and things are talking about, you know, in history books, they don't address everything. They don't talk about something. But you talk about everything. In, in, I mean, in an open and honest way. Yeah, it's an honest book. Yeah. yeah. Tell the truth about America. Mm-hmm. Because, the, listen, the truth, yes, may have some other things, but the truth is still good. It's still yeah. fine. It's still the best country yeah. in, the, in the world. Warts and, warts and all, but as someone said, not warts, that's all, you know. <laughs> Right. It's uh, it's it's everything that America is, and on balance, the country comes off pretty well. Though we had have problems, had problems, but mm-hmm. we also like to address those problems. Um, no, I'm very pleased with it. Very very proud of it, and proud to be working. Um, proud to be working in it. Thank you, Claude. Well, congratulations on that. Let's do some emails. Okay, so this is from our buddy Don, uh, who emails in all the time. He says, "Hey, Claude, uh, we are either." Well, he addressed it to me. I guess Claude and Dr. Bill. I guess he knows I'm going to get it to you. He says, we are either headed to having two separate nations under one weakened central government providing security from uh, foreign attacks, and then in parentheses he put divorce, or two separate nations with separate central governments. The first choice may be a peaceful agreed to separation, blue versus red states. The second choice will result from armed conflict, blue versus red states. The U.S. can no longer exist where uh, wherein 50% of the citizens hate the other 50%. We can no longer exist wherein half of the country no longer subscribes to the Constitution, equal justice under the law, uh, closed borders, vaccine uh, mandates, uh, CRT, silencing opposing views, silencing a sitting president, uh, deposing a sitting president, using government agencies, colluding with private businesses and social media and corruption of all institutions. Uh, the end has begun. Then he has a quote here that says, when the course of human events, uh, when in the course of hu- human events, it becomes necessary yeah, for one yeah. people to yeah, dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another, pray for our country. Yep, Declaration of mm-hmm. Uh Don is a smart guy and a close student of American history in America and a regular listener and correspondent with us. And I got to say, I don't think he's exaggerating. At all. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a poll out. Do you think, you know, people, ask blue people, do you think the red state people are, you know, terrible, horrible, vindictive, awful? Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ask red state people about blue state people. Same answer. Yes. Mm. I have been saying, 
This is as divided as we've ever been. Ever. Mm-hmm. Know about civil war. Know about what that cost us. It's about one issue. Mm-hmm. The divisions now, I think, are about a variety of issues. But um, I, I don't. I don't think we'll come to civil war. I, we done. We've done that. I hope not. Yeah. But I mean, I, you know, people don't probably don't know that we did. Probably most people under thirty don't know that we did. Hmm. Uh, but you know, uh, insurrection, uh, taking of forts, uh, Harper's Ferry. I mean, Fort Sumter. Are we really going to do that? I don't think so. I don't know. I hope not. I mean, we've heard stories in the last two or three years of uh, state capitals being under siege uh, by yeah, by people on both sides, you know, extremes on both sides. I will say that. Yeah. I, yeah, I just hope we don't hope we don't go there. I mean, you know, I, I want to think that Don is his view might be a, a bit extreme for where we are. But, you know, when I, when you look at the news and see what we've had the last couple of years, I'm thinking, you know, I mean. Is he a prophet? I hope not. Both sides are both sides are here, but I got to say the left is much more aggressive, uh, much more vindictive on a kind of daily basis. Follow you into the restroom basis. Yeah, you can't have lunch or dinner or walk through an yeah, airport yeah. without being harassed. Yeah, no, you're all right. And uh, you know we're here in a liberal co- county. I live mm-hmm. half time and uh, liberal neighborhood, and you know. We, we feel it. We get it. We get. We sense it. So it's uh, it's certainly out there. Um, why do I think it won't come to civil war? I don't know. I just don't think it will. Anybody thinking of civil war has to recognize that the power of the U.S. military now is so is so great that you're not talking about the Union Army. We got to just calm down. We got to find those things on which we agree. Gosh, there was an agreement yesterday on the Hill in the hearing on Facebook. Right. Both Democrats and Republicans were, were hitting, it, mm-hmm. hitting it pretty good. Uh, okay, that's a place, that's a place to go. What other places to go? We'll see. Uh, Don, I, I, you know, I, I grant your premises. I just don't grant your conclusion. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is deeply, deeply divisive. I've never seen it like this. Uh, uh, what remedies it? Media doesn't help. Right. Hey, you stir the pot. Mm-hmm. Oil stew. Well, did you see the other day? I mean, maybe this is the start of something, um, you know, where, I mean, <laughs> I don't know, good or bad, but, you know, maybe yeah, I've got to see what comes out of it. But uh, Andrew Yang, the guy who ran for him, yeah, uh, pre- the Democrat nomination uh, this time around, uh, started the Forward Party Pact. Did you see that? He made an announcement. Um, Leaving the Democrats. Yeah, said, you know, the, the, the current two-party thing is just not working. Uh, they have different issues, but we can all see the polarization. It's just getting worse. And so he's starting a forward party and hoping that, you know, and you've got people like the Problem Solvers, Solvers Caucus in Congress. I think that there's a demand for that kind of thing. I just, you know, I, just, I, don't, I don't know if it'll pick up any momentum or the passion that the extremes I have. I, mean, I, I don't know either. Let's continue to monitor it. Look, you got this crazy thing that came down from the Biden administration, Justice Department, you know, about threats to school board members. Mm-hmm. And that they'll regard this possibly as terrorism. Mm-hmm. You know, think of the Loudoun County thing, which was all over TV. Parents just complaining bitterly and angrily about critical race theory and other things. And the thought that the Justice Department and the FBI are going to be all over this is not. There's no general federal law enforcement power. It's you, you do this locally. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, if some school board member is threatened physically by someone and there's real evidence that, you know, the person intends to carry it out, arrest them. Right. But, you know, are people going to be arrested for showing anger at a school board meeting? This is overreach. Apparently there is tremendous blowback to this. Uh, 
I know I've been asked about it, you know, a hundred times, sure. former secretary, but um, terrible thing. And, of course, the, you had this little echo, and Terry McAuliffe there, running for governor mm-hmm. of Virginia, saying, you know, parents shouldn't be deciding what gets taught in schools. <laughs> Excuse me? <laughs> right. Who pays the bills and well, whose kids yeah. are they? I mean, it gives you insight to his thought process. Democrat, you know, yeah, it's a union thinking. Parents stay out yeah. of the, yeah. you know. Out of our business. We're raising kids. <laughs> yeah, it's a union thinking. We had another great email. Yeah, from our friend uh, Muriel. I said, hello, Bill. I heard Mark on your uh, program talking about Texas. My question is, where is the best, uh, nicest place to live in Texas? I'm considering moving to Texas. Maybe by the end of the year, I'm a senior and would like to know how I can find the best area in Texas to move. I definitely do not want Austin, where our friend Chris Beach is currently uh, in Austin, in Austin, Texas. He and his family says, uh, "Thank you for your help with my question." Why don't you want Austin, Muriel? <laughs> well, well I, I want to invite all our Texas listeners to write in. Yeah, like our Saturday morning. I don't girls know. Down there. Yeah. yeah, Saturday morning girls. I mean, I don't know. I was always happy when I was in Texas. Mm-hmm. I guess I wouldn't recommend living at the border right now. Right. That's I mean, I know America. Austin best because I, you know, I lived there. Right. And my son was there for a couple of years, loved it. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's flaky. It's like, it's a university town. Mm-hmm. You know, what they got sweatshirts, let Austin be weird. Right. All this stuff. Yeah. There's a whole flower child thing out there. A lot of homeless in there. I, are they defunding the police? I think they may be. Really? Austin's, huh. I think so. Wow. So, I, you know, I understand, Muriel. Uh, the Dallas Metroplex is good. Um mm-hmm. Island Park, you know, that area, areas around Houston. I like West Texas. Mm-hmm. like the great spaces out there and Junction and um, I think kind of the uh, Abilene and uh, even further west, great places. But uh, let's let's write in, folks. Yeah. Let's, advice for Muriel. Let's do three things. Let's get people listen to the podcast to give advice to Muriel. Just email Bill Bennett Podcast right. at gmail.com and we'll share that. Let's see if we can get Chris Beach on to talk about Austin, where he's at. Yeah, and, the good, the bad, and yeah, the ugly. And the uh-huh. ugly and, and, and where he would suggest. And oh. then we'll see if we can mark, get Mark Davis for free to suggest us. He can play real estate agent. And I'll, yeah. say, I'll shoot him a text message. Yeah, and, I'll, bet, he can, I'll bet he'll I'll have send some, him the email. Then he can, yeah. I'll bet he'll have some funny things to say in response. <laughs> I'll bet he will. COVID. The vaccinated war on the unvaccinated. What is the anger and fear of the vaccinated toward the unvaccinated justified by? Interesting question, because I would assume that, and I am vaccinated. I would assume that if you're vaccinated, then you are protect, you're, you yourself, you're protected from those who are not vaccinated if your fears are, you know, heightened. I don't know what the anger would be. All right, folks, let's talk to Mark Krikorian. Stay current on the threat posed by China with our friends at Committee on the Present Danger China. Go to presentdangerchina.org, presentdangerchina.org. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. Let's welcome Mark Krikorian to the show. He's the executive director of the Center for Immigration Studies. Hey, Bill, how are you doing? Okay, long time no talk, and that's... that's that's our fault. You know, we thought everything was good at the border, so we didn't think there was any need. Yeah, right. <laughs> we thought it's the border was <laughs> Oh, you mean it's not? <laughs> Mark, it's always great to have uh, you on. You're, you're the pro. You're the, the man. Um, how bad is this right now, what's going on? Is this unprecedented in terms of how bad it is? I think it's fair to say it's unprecedented. There have been times where we've had 
similarly high numbers of apprehensions. But the difference now is that in the past, the apprehensions of high numbers, which again, weren't all that different from what we have now. So I'm talking about whether it's unprecedented. They were almost all Mexican men traveling alone and we turned them around and a lot of them tried again. And it was sort of, there was some revolving door aspect to it. And that's bad. That wasn't really a particularly effective way of doing enforcement, but what it, but that resulted in statistics that look similar to what we're seeing today. But what we're seeing today is fundamentally different because number one, there are a a very large proportion now are not single men just coming to dishwashing jobs. They're whole families drawn here by uh, loopholes in our law that have developed over the past decade that mean if you bring a kid with you, you essentially are guaranteed to be let go into the United States and no one's ever going to look for you again, even if you don't show up for a hearing. So that's one difference is not single men, but families. There are still single men coming, but families are now, uh, or adults bringing kids with them is now a huge share of the flow. The other, the other difference, which is unprecedented, is that it's not Mexicans anymore. There are still Mexican illegal immigrants coming over. I'm not saying that's a, that doesn't exist, but the majority of people being apprehended by the Border Patrol now are not from Mexico. In fact, the Central American, the three northern countries of Central America, uh, Honduras, Guatemala, and El Salvador, were the first ones to, you know, uh, displace Mexico, as it were. But in uh, August, which are the most recent numbers they've published, fully 30% of all the illegal aliens arrested were neither from Mexico nor from those countries of Central America. Interesting. They were from all over the world. Some of them were Latin America, the Caribbean, but also, you know, Africa, India, uh, Uzbekistan, uh, you know, Mauritania. We are even starting to get gypsies from Romania coming over because, you know, word spreads. If you bring a kid with you, they're going to let you go. And under Biden, unless you cut somebody's head off or you're a terrorist, nobody's going to look for you. You're not going to get deported, even if you blow off your hearing, never show up. Or if you show up and you lose your case and don't leave, no one's going to come after you. So we really are in an unprecedented situation. And I don't see how this is sustainable. Um, what do you mean sustainable? Well, how long can it continue? Give us some idea of the numbers. Sure. The um, Every week, the Border Patrol is now arresting about 50,000 illegal aliens at the southern border. And the majority of those, not the huge majority, but more than 50 percent, are simply let go into the United States. Um, and we're never, and those people are never going to leave. Uh, so, you know, a month, that's about 200,000 a month. That's what it's running at. The numbers shot up literally in February. Uh, you know, I mean, it was it was it's not a coincidence that it happened as soon as Joe Biden took office. Yeah, yeah. Because Biden Biden campaigned on this, and so for this fiscal year, we're talking about apprehensions exceeding any prior year ever. Probably, in other words. It's apprehensions. I mean, the fiscal year ended in September. So um, and we're now in the fiscal year 2022. We're going to get the numbers in, but there's no, it, I don't think there's any way they can not break the record of about, what was it, 21 years ago. Uh, so this is unprecedented now, both in, like I said, they're not Mexicans and they're not just single men. But we are now at a point where even the numbers, the total raw number, is bigger than anything that's ever happened. Is it a million? Will it be a million? Oh, no. It's it's 1.6 or 1.7 million. Right now. 
Well, that's for the fisc- for the fiscal year that just ended. We don't know for the exact number yet, but it will be something like one point six or one point seven million well, apprehensions. That's a, okay, and it released into the country. Or not all of them, about roughly half of them, maybe. Well, what about the um, so-called getaways? Yeah, there's all, but yeah, exactly. You need to balance those. What the number I gave you is the um, border patrol apprehension statistics. The gotaways, the people that the border patrol actually knows something about, like they have camera footage yeah, or whatever, yeah. but they didn't get them. That we're not really sure, but you know, it could be another uh, thirty, forty thousand a month on top of that. So yeah, we're talking a lot. I mean, the number of illegal immigrants who actually settled in the United States over the past fiscal year could be a million people. I think maybe it's a little less probably, but it could be that much in one year. That's an invasion, isn't it? You know, I I don't use the term, but it's becoming increasingly hard not to use that term. Where are they the going? Reason- where, where are they going? Everywhere? Everywhere, yeah. I mean, it just, they're this? going where their co-ethnics already live. The Haitians are going to Miami and the Salvadorans are going to Washington. You know, it's just they're, they're going to where the existing communities already are. So it's all over the country. You focused on the fact that uh, most of the people coming in now are not Mexicans. And right. they're not from those three border countries uh, where people said the problem starts with economic blah, blah, blah. Anyway, that aside, is there a reason or reasons that it's important that we note that they're from all over the world, particular risks or dangers or terrorism? Well, yeah, there's two things. I mean, one is the kind of targeted issue is that a lot of them are coming from countries where, you know, in the Middle East and elsewhere where uh, terrorism is a problem. That's, you know, that's kind of a focused issue that, you know, that's happened before. It's just that now there's a bigger flow and the bigger the haystack, the harder to find the needle. But I'd have to say the problem, not the problem, but maybe, but the important thing to draw from the fact that people are coming from all over the world now is that the vice president's idea that somehow we can deal with root causes is clearly absurd. Uh, You know, the whole idea that we were going to fix Honduras and Guatemala and somehow that was going to end migration itself was kind of absurd. But, you know, there were 160 countries that illegal immigrants came from last month. We're going to fix problems in all 160 countries? I've been saying as long as there's this massive differential between living wherever you are and in the United States, and that's not going to be overcome in my lifetime or yours our kids, they'll keep coming. I mean, it's always going to be better to be in the United States. Yeah, I mean, there's no question about that, which means we border enforcement has to be has to involve actually enforcing the border and not just hoping that, you know, will someday generations from now raise wages enough in Honduras or Mauritania, for that matter, that people won't want to come. I mean, you can't you can't you have to do immigration enforcement to control immigration. You can't hope that somehow the pressure to move here will just disappear. That's never going to happen. Why? Why? Why is Biden doing this? Is this politics? Is this to get Democrat voters? Is it because it's not Trump? Yeah, I don't. I think it's sort of all of the above, but it's actually more than that. I mean, there's no question that anything Trump did was bad. I mean, uh, if Trump had said you should shower daily, they'd, you know, they'd all stop bathing. Uh, it's that pathological on their part. So Trump's, you know, immigration was his thing. If you're going to be the anti-Trump, you have to undo everything he did on immigration. So that's part of it. Just sort of a knee-jerk, unthinking reaction. The second thing you referred to, and 
you know, Tucker Carlson talks about this and a lot of people do is importing voters. And, you know, I think there is something to the idea that this is that immigration is going to help shift the political landscape. Certainly it does. But I don't think that's the first thing or maybe the, the fundamental kind of base thing uh, that's driving this. The, the problem is that the Democratic Party, the mainstream of the Democratic Party, has become radicalized on immigration over the past decade or so. And they do not believe that it is legitimate for the American people to turn anybody away. Our borders may, we may not say no at our borders. That is a fundamental issue of principle now in the Democratic Party. It was always there in the fringes. This is not a fringe issue anymore. This is their basic belief. If you get into the country, you can't be made to leave. And frankly, if you get to the border and you have any kind of story of difficulty or woe, it is immoral for us through our democratic process to not take you in. And that leads to what you're seeing here. Yeah, I I remember a conversation with you a while back. We talked about the different uh, power different lobbies had in the uh, Democrat Party, uh, teachers unions, uh, environmentalists, so on. You said they're all Trump by the immigration crowd. Yeah, yeah. Still true. I guess guess we're saying that, right? Open borders. Open borders. Uberalis is what I wanted to call the article I wrote. But uh, Catherine Lopez, our friend over National Review back then, said, no, 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 we can't call it that. That's a little too provocative. But look, that's what we're seeing. Open borders, Uberalis. Could this be reversed easily, readily? Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't mean that the I mean, the damage we've suffered is going to be hard to reverse. In other words, you know, it's going to be hard to remove a million illegal aliens on top of the ones we already had here. But stopping what we're seeing here is not that difficult at all, actually. I mean, Trump did it. What would you do? Can can you revive the uh, remain in Mexico policy? Yeah. I mean, that would be kind of the first thing you would do. And um, we, and what that means is somebody comes to the border, says they have an asylum claim. Under our law, we're kind of bound to hear that, however ludicrous the claim might be. Um, but under this Remain in Mexico program that Trump uh, put in place, it was authorized by earlier law. It wasn't called that, but this is a this was something authorized by Congress. They can, with Mexico's assent, be sent back across the border to wait until their hearing date, and then they get to come in. Um, tr- uh, Biden stopped that right away. The problem is Mexico has to agree to that. And under Trump, they did, because Trump had a kind of carrot and a stick. I mean, he threatened them with the uh, trade sanctions and what have you if they didn't get along get with the program. Um, under Biden, they're just basically uh, pleading with Mexico to please stop some of these people from coming to the border. So um, that's not going to do it. You've got to have the legal structures in place. Feeling any uh, heat. Do you think they might reverse the uh, maybe a little bit? I mean, they did, they did send some of those Haitians under the bridge back to Haiti. Not not most of them, but some of them. And, um, and they made a big deal about that. Uh, So, they, I can see them backpedaling a little bit, but there's a limit to how much they can do because I draw the analogy here to what Jimmy Carter faced with the Mariel Boatlift in 1980. Uh, I mean, this may be uh, anybody who's younger than us may not even remember this, but, yeah. you know, Castro let out huge numbers of Cubans. They, they, they 
it was basically created by Carter. He said, we'll welcome anybody with open hearts, open arms. He got more than he bargained for. But Jimmy Carter. Castro sent the worst. Right, exactly. I mean, not all of them, but yeah, he emptied his jails, all kinds of stuff. But Jimmy Carter was able to shut that down because he hadn't run on immigration. Yeah. He hadn't run as the open borders yeah. guy. Yeah. His predecessor yeah. had not, you know, been the immigration hardliner. So he had freedom of action. Biden, or let me put quotes under Biden, the Biden administration anyway, yeah. Yeah. whoever's actually running things, Who is running does, not yeah. ha- does not have that freedom of action. Yeah. So I don't know. We'll see. I think they're kind of they're in a bind and they're going to really pay for it in next November. I mean, I think this is going to be one of the things, along with other stuff, you know, inflation in Afghanistan and COVID and all this stuff. They're going to get annihilated next year, I think, because of this. And I don't think that they see any way to backtrack. Can we talk a little bit about these Afghan refugees? Um, Sure. I was listening to my friend, and I know him because he went to school with one of my sons and served in the Marine Corps with another of my sons, Mike Gallagher, from Wisconsin. And he said, I can't remember the name of the fort up there in Wisconsin, but a number of Afghan refugees came. And he said that when he went there and asked what was going on, he found out that none of the Afghanis who came were special immigrant visa people. They had no particular justification for getting on the plane. And he fears this might be the case in other places. There's also reports of some really crappy, ugly behavior on the part of some of these Afghanis uh, doing in America what they like to do in Afghanistan to little boys and little girls. Uh, Do you know anything about this? Uh, do Do we have any data? Do we have any information? No, we do not really have data yet because all we really have at this point is the reporting on it that has leaked out from, you know, local media because the government is not going to, you know, tell you about any of this stuff. In other words, we're going to see it in police reports, stuff like that. And this is what happens when, you know, at the last minute, people are just pushing through the crowd and getting on the airplanes and we're taking anybody. Um, it, frankly, even some of the people who were working with us, not, I don't mean the translators, because there really weren't that many military translators. They use that as the justification for, you know, 120,000 people. There just weren't that many military translators. But but there was a separate special immigrant visa category, a much bigger one, for people who were, you know, office workers or they worked in construction for a company that did work for the army, that sort of thing. You know, even if they qualified for those, you know, they are still, and I don't mean this in any kind of racially derogatory sense, but they're still Afghan. They're products of their society. And so, you know, they'll have a 12 year old wife and it's like, you know, what's why? Why are you worried about that? What's the problem? Analytically, this is a different problem, though, right? I mean, same administration. It's a different problem in that it was um, it was the result of the way we withdrew from Afghanistan. In other words, if we'd had more time. If it had been done in a more deliberate way, a lot of the problem people wouldn't have been here. But you still would have had lots of Afghans. And just because somebody worked for a food service company that supplied the State Department doesn't mean they have a modern Western outlook. You know what I mean? So yeah, I sure do. Some of these some of these problems may well have existed, you know, and that doesn't mean that, uh, you know, that you can't let somebody in just because they're from a country that's incredibly backward. But it does raise questions about how much immigration you can take like that. Because yeah. if you have one fa- if you have one family that is coming from essentially a an Iron Age or even Neolithic lifestyle, one family in a town with 
10,000 people, you know, they'll have a hard time, but they'll figure it out. If you've got a thousand people like that to create their own community, well, it becomes harder to, you know, to get those people to acclimate to modern life. And so numbers, I mean, this is as Enoch Powell, the British politician said years ago about immigration, numbers are of the essence. Smaller numbers mean all of the problems that could happen with immigration are easier to deal with than if you have big numbers. They were just, I said different analytically, and that may not have been the right way to say it, but they were just in such a hurry to get their numbers up, seems to me, you know, of people. Oh, oh we got 140,000 people. Right. Well, yeah. that meant they weren't very careful. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, no, I mean, they were not, there was no... They're saying now they were, you know, vetting people carefully in the landing, the lily pads, they call them, the places outside the U.S., but outside Afghanistan, like in Germany or the Middle East, that they took them. Well, uh, number one, it doesn't seem they were, you know, vetting them all that carefully, given what has come to the U.S. But the other thing is, let's say they're in Abu Dhabi or wherever we have a base somewhere there in the UAE. And, you know, they find some people that are a problem. Well, then what are we going to do with them? We're not going to send them back to Afghanistan. And Abu Dhabi is like, well, we're not keeping them. You know, I mean, uh, you can't, they can't stay here. They came up with some arrangement for a couple of people that they found who were problem uh, to send them. I think it was either to Kosovo or Albania. But even <laughs> but, but even there, they, they agreed only to keep them for up to one year. So basically, it's a, can we park them here until the reporters forget about it, and then we'll bring them into the U.S. because, you know, you're not going to let us leave them there. So anyway, once you take people out of Afghanistan, this is the point I was making. As soon as the cargo door on one of our planes closed, every person in that plane was going to be able to eventually get to the U.S. and live for there for the rest of his life. No matter vetting, schmetting, it was all just kabuki. All right, the numbers obviously are much greater at the southern border, but this is a this Afghan thing is the thing to be concerned about. Are we right now changing in a radical and important way the nature of America because of this problem? Incrementally, I think. I mean, you know, the kind of these changes have been going on for a while. I mean, look, 1968 is when things started going wrong. Uh, What we're seeing now is kind of the culmination, the culmination of that. So I don't know that, you know, the past eight months or however long it's been under Biden is necessarily some kind of turning point or inflection point. Uh, politically, I think it is, but I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm an optimist on this. I'm a pessimistic optimist, I guess, but I'm an optimist. Say why. It's never, it's never too late. Uh, you know, most immigrants are ordinary schmoes. They're not working stiffs like anybody else. They're not evil. They're not Mother Teresa. They're just regular people. They're not like these radicals following Senator Cinema into the ladies' room. Yeah, they're, yeah, just yeah, yeah. People who want, they're just people who want to work. Now, this doesn't mean that we should have unlimited immigration, but what it means is if we can shut off this or shut down, you know, reduce this flow, and, and this is important, you know, kind of reassert a certain sense of national self-confidence, the immigrants, for the most part, are going to get with the program. The problem is, are we in a position, are we willing to reassert a kind of national self-confidence? That's the key to successful immigration. And one of the reasons we need to reduce numbers is precisely because we're not teaching kids and others what America is. You know, uh, I mean, my mother went to Boston area public schools in the 30s and 40s and memorized the Gettysburg Address and saying Hail no, Columbia. I know. That's not what they're doing in the L.A. Unified School District, and it's not the immigrants' fault. 
The immigrants aren't any better or worse than they were 100 years ago. We need to get our act together before we can successfully deal with mass immigration, which is one of the reasons we need to shut the numbers down until we can get our act together. Could those numbers be five or six million by the time uh, from the southern border, by the time Joe Biden leaves office? Uh, I don't I, Maybe it's not impossible, but it seems to me by the time it gets to that, you really do have um, not only, you know, impeachment proceedings. Uh, first of all, the Republicans will, you know, take both houses of Congress uh, next year. I mean, in, if, if that in that scenario, I think it may happen anyway. But even without that, um, and then the president would have to worry about being impeached. I mean, I don't think you could get that. Bad. I could easily see it getting to two million, okay. maybe even three million a year, you know, of, of illegal alien apprehensions. I don't, I think 5 million would be a lot. I mean, that would be, that would be beyond any point where the administration could remain in uh, power. All right. Um, what do we do? Or did you just answer that? Vote them no, out? No, I mean, yeah, there's a specific, yeah, that too. But yeah, the, uh, the, the vote them out part is, is kind of the, the, uh, the prerequisite. The question is, if Republicans get political control, and obviously, would have to wait till they got the White House too. Then what? Uh, this is always my concern with Republicans taking Congress: is they squander the opportunity every know, time. Yeah, I know. Um, but there are actually probably three specific things, particular loopholes that in the law that need to be addressed. That are you know that have developed over the past decade or so. This is not something that's been going on forever. The first one is a piece of legislation called the it's a long tra- trafficking victims protection reauthorization act. It does the 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 alphabet soup doesn't matter that much. It was passed in 08 to late in 2008, and what it did is it said that minors or people claiming to be minors who are illegal aliens who were not from Mexico or Canada could not just be returned to their home countries. They had to be placed with sponsors, usually their illegal alien relatives who paid to have them smuggled. Um, and then they had to have hearings and all this. If they were Mexican, we just send them back. Uh, that, when it was passed, I'm not sure what the thinking was, but the numbers were so low, it didn't matter. Well, yeah. now they're not. Yeah. That has to be changed. That's okay. number one. Number one. Number two, under Obama, one of the, it wasn't like the first thing, but it was uh, the first year of the administration, um, they instituted a policy, which frankly is illegal, um, that said if someone comes and claims asylum, illegal aliens in custody and claims asylum, that instead of doing what the law mandates, which is that person, and this is in statute, has to be kept in custody until their case has been resolved, precisely so that people don't say asylum and get let go. The law says they have to be kept in custody. The the Obama administration just issued a memo saying, yeah, we're just going to ignore that. We're going to let them go into the U.S. And now it's out of control. And that's what the Remain in Mexico program was designed to respond to. And the third thing is something people follow this will have heard the term. It's called the Flores settlement. There was a lawsuit. And what it amounts to is that um, the uh, you can't keep a minor in custody more than 20 days. And if you don't want to separate him from his parents, you got to let the parents go too. Yeah. So that what that does is anybody who has a kid with them, magically they get let go. They cannot be held more than three weeks. So those three things Congress can fix, um, not that, you know, not that difficult and, you know, can dramatically reduce what we're dealing with at the border. The only problem is that, you know, once you start something, it's harder to stop than not allowing it to start in the first place. Yeah, so sure. 
In other words, that we need to do those things, but it's going to take time and it's going to take resources to crack down on this. And the left is going to be wailing and hollering all along, making up stuff like that fake whipping hoax, you know, the Border Patrol guy yeah, on the whip, horse. Whipping the horse, yeah. yeah. That's just that's just hoax du jour. They're going to be coming up with one hoax after the next. But the it. point is, we can do something. This isn't the weather. This isn't the tides. We don't have to throw our hands up or, as they say, lie back and pretend to enjoy it. This is something we can fix if we wanted to fix. This administration does not want to fix it. I assume you are having some conversations with some Republican senators and members of the House. Sure, we keep in good, touch with those good, good, people good. all the time. Yeah. Well, we regard the fact that we have you as, uh, you know, one of the one of the great reasons that there's great grounds for optimism. So let's uh, hope so. Thank you, Mark. Sure, happy to do it anytime. You're listening to the Bill Bennett Show. Policy Genius can help you refresh your cool weather wardrobe for autumn, but they can help you shop for another kind of wardrobe and coverage, life insurance. I just refreshed my fall wardrobe. Had to let some things out because I put on a little bit of weight. So those 32 size, those size 32 jeans and pants, I can't fit anymore. So I've got to buy some new stuff. But Policy Genius can help you out with life insurance. Well, that's the deal. The pant, they can't do anything about my 32 to 34. Yeah, well, but what they can you, help yeah, with maybe it, what, is that the, never mind, I'm not going to ask. <laughs> Let's talk about life insurance and Policy Genius. Now, how's it work? Policy Genius makes it easy to compare quotes from over a dozen top insurers all in one place. Why compare? Well, you could save 50% or more on life insurance by comparing quotes with Policy Genius. The licensed experts at Policy Genius work for you, not the insurance companies. So you can trust them to help you navigate every step of the shopping and buying process. Eligible applicants can get covered in as little as a week thanks to an award-winning policy option that swaps the standard medical exam requirement for a simple phone call. Wow. That's really good. Mm-hmm. This exclusive policy was recently rated number one by Forbes Advisor, higher than options from Ladder, Ethos, and Bestow. How does it work? Well, getting started is easy. First, head to policygenius.com, policygenius.com. In minutes, you can work out how much life insurance coverage you need and compare personalized quotes to find your best price. Okay, get it done. Head to policygenius.com to get started right now. Policy Genius, when it comes to insurance, it's nice to get it right and right from the start. That does it for today's show. Catch up on previous episodes of the show. Go to thebillbennettshow.com. You can follow me on Twitter at William J. Bennett. You can like me on Facebook. Just search Bill Bennett. Feel free to email the show. I'd love to hear from you. It's billbennettpodcast at gmail.com. Please share the podcast with your family and friends. We'll catch up next week. 